Hello and welcome to Darker Days Radio, Darkling number 34. Darkling episodes such as this are sister segments to the main Darker Days Radio show, highlighting other game systems, specific World of Darkness topics, and showcasing listener-submitted material. And boy, do we have a good one for you tonight. Podcasting legend and Darker Days executive producer Mark Hope has hit the airwaves once more with a thorough review of the new Mage of the Ascension Quick Start Guide, released as part of the Free RPG Day. But before we let Mark jump into it, we should take care of some administrative stuff first, namely the contest. Our current contest is still ongoing, but will end uh, this Saturday, July 12th, uh, 2014. If you haven't sent in a submission yet, uh, here's what you need to do. Just send an email to darkerdaysradio at gmail.com, answering one simple question. What do you think the new, new World of Darkness game will be? The randomly selected winner will receive a copy of the God Machine Chronicle, signed by Onyx Path luminary Black Hat Matt McFarland. Uh, two other entrants will have a chance at some uh, slightly damaged, but still entirely usable copies of the God Machine Chronicle and Geist the Sin Eaters. So, there you have the contest, and without further ado, it's time to sit back and listen to what Mark has to say. Hey folks, Mark here, bringing you a nugget of purple and gold goodness in the form of a review of the 20th anniversary edition of Maze the Ascension Quick Start Rules. That came out on Saturday as part of Free RPG Day. Well, let's take a look at the cover. You might expect it's purple silk, mage card tilted to the left. Uh, it's the old unblemished mage card from uh, first edition mage, although uh, they've used the, uh, the more updated image of the tarot card. Nice gold fonts on the front. The mix the images are revised first edition and second edition quite nicely. And before I get into the nitty-gritty of the content and what have you, I'll just give you an overview of what the, uh, the thing looks like if you are kind of leafing through it. It's black and white, full bead on the inside. Nice, clean and crisp. It's going with the uh, second edition headers and font styles, and the border is a, is a mix of the old first edition and second edition mage. So there's none of the sort of pixelated sphere symbols that you got in, uh, in revised. Instead, you've got the little grainy outside edge of first edition, and inside that, the sweeping, swirly borders of second edition mage. So it has a kind of overall look of, uh, of those early editions combined. The artwork itself is clear and crisp. Very magey, katana count two, um, and just kind of judging from the tones of the greys, I have a feeling that this is a black and white version of something we're going to be able to get in color. So a full color, full bleed version of the, the Quick Start rules is definitely going to be something worth waiting for and downloading from Drive Through RPG. Uh, Mage 20th Anniversary Kickstarter backers are going to get a PDF copy of this sometime soon, and uh, everyone else will be able to buy it, download it for free from Drive Through. I have no idea. Um, I guess we'll see. Let's take a look and see what we got in here. Okay, the book's basically divided into two sections. At the beginning, you have a rough overview of the rules and the setting, and then the second half of the book is made up of a sample cabal and some sample NPCs and a handful of adventure hooks. Originally, the Kickstarter text said that we were going to get a quick start adventure called Catastrophe Ballet. Now, that's since been held back for later publication. And what we have here, as I've said, a combination of uh, rules, NPCs, and a sort of implied setting in the city of Seattle. So, it starts out with the introduction. 
gives us a little bit of an overview of what mage is, talks about the theme and the mood. Uh, theme is reality is flexible and at your command, and the mood is hope. Talks about the four main factions in the game, the Council of Nine Mystic Traditions, the Technocracy, the Nefandi, the Marauders, and then we get a two or three line breakdown of what each tradition is and what each of the the nine traditions in each of the four conventions. Now, the traditions, their names have been a little bit updated. Some of you guys may have picked this up over the internet and some of the previews that have been coming out. So the Akashic Brotherhood is referred to here as the Akashayana. Celestial Chorus is still the Celestial Chorus. The Euthanatos have become the Chakravanti, or Euthanatoi. Cult of Ecstasy is also called the Sahajia. You'll recognize these as all as earlier names and alternate names for the traditions. The Dream Speakers are also referred to as the Kavadi. Not quite sure where that one's coming from. Um, I guess we'll find out more when the book comes out. Order of Hermes remains unchanged, of course. Uh, society or Sons, now in brackets, of Ether. The Rebenai. Good to see we have a nice plural there to go with Ninjai and Katanai. And the Virtual Adepts, or VAs. Technocratic conventions remain unchanged, and there's a little reference here to unlined mages, but no real detail on those. Then it jumps into an overview of characters and the rules, uh, talks about Arate, the avatar, your traits, focus, and, uh, and magic. Focus is worth uh, taking a moment to, to kind of look into in, in more detail here. What it's done is it's, it's tied up the concept of paradigm, of actual magical practice, of the physical instruments, the tools you might use, and has combined all those together in a single concept of focus. So it asks you here, it says, what does the mage believe? That's paradigm. How does the mage turn belief into action? That's practice. What does the mage do to do so? Instruments. All these three combined is focus. Okay, moves on to talk to, uh, about the general rules of the game, the dice pool. Uh, we're using the revised botch system here, which is good. There's no mention of thresholds anywhere, um, but 10 is given as, as an automatic success. However, it does mention in a few places that these, of course, are just introductory rules, and we'll see more of the, uh, the main rules when the full book comes out. Talks about willpower, that works as normal. Got a little section here on modified difficulties and dice pools, and it's allowing uh, for modifications of up to plus or minus five on the difficulty scale, capped at three for magical effects. And also talks about removing dice from the pool, um, which is something I haven't seen referred to very often in Classic World of Darkness. Uh, another nice little nugget from, uh, from New World of Darkness that we can steal and use to improve our games. We get an overview of the combat rules, as with the other um, 20th anniversary editions, dodge is out as an ability, it's being replaced by athletics. Blocks and parries are a little bit harder, DC 8 and 7 respectively, but it does note that these are interim rules, so maybe we're just seeing something that's a, a placeholder until the main book comes out. There's a little simple system for counter magic, it's a straight Arate roll at DC 8. Uh, damage is applied in the same way as we've seen in Revise, with bashing, uh, lethal and aggravated all wrapping round one onto the other. Then we've got five pages of combat tables and weapon stats and maneuver stats and stuff, which, um, yeah, I'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, then we've got the magic rules. We've got a nice, nice uh, concise overview of coincidental versus vulgar magic. The uh, rule of thumb here, by the way, it says, as a simple rule, assume that any act of magic that a normal citizen of today's world could see and accept as an everyday occurrence is coincidental. While some spell that looks supernatural or otherwise impossible is vulgar. So that's the line they're taking here. Then there's a nice discussion here of witnesses or no witnesses. It makes the distinction between those who are awakened or supernaturally inclined or uh, have been schooled in the supernatural versus the hypothetical Joe and Jane average. Um, there's a nice little breakdown of the magic system and the paradox system. It 
doesn't say, however, whether successes are to be spent one after the other in a stacking economy as per revised, or whether successes can overlap as per first and second edition. Let's say, for example, you want to rain holy fire down on a vampire from the other side of the world using forces, prime and correspondence. Let's say you've got three successes to deal damage with your forces effect, uh, but there's two successes required for the correspondence range. Under second edition, all you needed was the three successes. The highest success requirement was the one that applied for the effect. Under revised edition, of course, you'd have to add them together. So that would be a total of five. It's not made it clear exactly here which one it is. So it'll be interesting to see when the main book comes out, if they clarify that any further. Because the change from one of those to the other had a massive effect on how easy it was to pull off magical effects. One of the main changes in, in feel and tone of actual gameplay between second edition and revised. So it'll be good to see uh, which approach Mage the 20th takes. Or if it allows for both. Early indications seem to be that it's going to be flexible, which can only be a good thing. When it comes to magical difficulties, we're using the same scaling DCs as before, plus three, plus four, plus five, depending on whether it's coincidental, vulgar without, or vulgar with witnesses. Uh, when it comes to paradox, there's a change here in that you get less paradox for a successful vulgar effect. It's one point of dox, no matter whether your successful vulgar effect had witnesses, had no witnesses, no matter how many spheres, uh, sphere ranks were in it. Paradox for botches is the same as given out under revised, so one per dot in high sphere for coincidental, plus one for Vulgar Without Witnesses, or double that for Vulgar with Witnesses. There's a very brief overview of what the spheres do, one line each, a couple of lines on what single dot, two dots, three dots, four dots, five dots can do, as a general thing for all spheres, an overview of effects, damage, duration, then there's the, the tables for correspondence ranges, spheres, the spirit sphere, gauntlet ratings, time sphere, timelines, etc., etc., all the kind of things you'd expect to see in the, on the magic charts. They've, Got a bunch of those in here. Um, there's new little expansions here for the for the time sphere. You have a little feats of time magic chart giving you different success requirements for things like stepping out of time, um, time travel, taking areas out of time, etc. And there's also a new rule that messing around with time in the past boosts the DC by three points. Then there's a section with common magical effects. Now, if you were an old-time mage player, or if you have a copy of the second edition Storyteller's Guide, the Book of Mirrors, there was a big section in there with all these different sphere requirements for common magical effects. So here we've got body magic, fate and fortune, dealing with objects and elements, perception, psychic power, spirit powers, etc., dealing with quintessence. It's just got the sphere requirements for simple effects. So perception and psychic powers, you know, it says influence mood, tells you it's mind two. Sensing energies, tells you it's the appropriate sphere at one. Creating multiple images tells you you need correspondence and forces or prime. Uh, draining nodes tells you you need prime four. Just that, a single line per effect. But if you're a little bit familiar with the system, you can pick this up and run. They all look pretty solid to me. If you're a newcomer to this, then hopefully what they've given you on the spheres so far is enough for you to be able to run with this a little, but it's very, very bare bones for a newcomer. So I think uh, someone who's completely fresh to mage would probably do with someone, a more experienced player, holding their hand here. And that's where we finish the, uh, the rule section. That's 22 pages there. The remainder of it, I said, is taken up by the Cabal, the assumed setting, the NPCs, the adventure nodes. Uh, the sample Cabal is called the Bridge Toll Cabal. Uh, an interesting set of characters with diverse and well-fleshed-out backgrounds. Um, they're listed as a starter Cabal. This is not what they are. <laughs> a couple of them have Arite 2 and Spheres about 5 or 6. But most of the Cabal have got a dozen Sphere Dots or more, uh, f 
Arate 4, high stats in willpower, in your various abilities. So it's, it's, a, it's a fully fleshed out Cabal with more powerful middle rank and lower rank uh, NPCs. It's not a starter Cabal. And uh, starting players who jump into this, I think, are going to find themselves way into the deep end. You've got a guy with Spirit 3, Mind 3, Arate 4, Willpower 8. You're going to have your hands full with him if, if you're not familiar with the game. So I would use this myself as a template for your own game or something you could drop in and use uh, use and run with. Um, they're all street mages. Uh, the, the book even name checks Destiny's Price. Two thumbs up from me for that. They all kind of fall under the wounded noble counterculture warrior stereotype to one degree or another. They, uh, as, as individuals, they don't have serious character flaws of their own. Um, they have a number of issues that they're, they're all dealing with, so these are clearly the good guys. Um, this may allow easy buy-in, uh, so, you know, as a design decision, that's something that probably could work out well in, in, uh, in the long term. One issue that you do have with the sample characters is it leads to a lot of dead white space, where in a quick starter like this, where you're dealing with space at a premium, that could have been a little bit more efficient and allowed for, you know, the addition of more information here and there. It's not a big deal, though. The artwork is, again, clear, crisp. It looks like it's going to be color if, uh, if and when we get a color version of this. Right after the Cabal members, we have a selection of NPCs, including, and they're all, again, specific to this Cabal. I should say all the NPCs and adventure notes and what have you all stem out of the Cabal, so they're all intimately tied into the, uh, to the sample presented characters, which is a huge plus. So you have their, their guard dogs, um, spirits, that are uh, aligned with them, one of the characters' familiars, bane spirits that plague their uh, the, the areas that they frequent, um, pattern spiders, some fantastic work on pattern spiders in here, really fantastic work on that. Um, a nice look at the totem systems that we're going to see in play in the main game. Uh, a couple of totems here, we have um, raven and crow, and then a crow gaffling, a cool uh, tech totem called glitch, um, a drug spirit totem called Blue Wave. All of these can be picked up and dropped into your game wherever you like. Really, really good. Strong, strong work here. And some interesting looks at the mechanics. We can see that we're using uh, more or less the, the spirit system that we've got in Werewolf 20th Anniversary, although it looks like we're using the old version of the materialized charm here, um, which is maybe a step backwards in that regard. I don't know. Then we have some more neutral parties, regular Joe and Jane citizens, some cops, thugs, uh, street kids and hardcore homeless, uh, some antagonists, well, one antagonist, an Erite 6 technocrat, and then a couple of pages of story hooks. And as with all the NPCs and the various spirits, these story hooks are tied directly into the sample player characters. So if you're not using the sample cabal, on the one hand, the story hooks are less useful for you, but they're all quite iconic. And it's very easy to see how uh, these story hooks are supposed to be tied in to the sample characters given. So you can modify them and adapt them, adapt them to your own games really, really easily. And if you're using the sample cabal as NPCs, and they work well as NPCs, you have a whole variety of hooks and spin-offs and little side tangents that you can use to, to bring life to the sample cabal in whatever setting you choose to use them in. So overall, it's good. I'm, I gotta say, upfront, I'm not entirely sure how accessible it's gonna be to someone who's not experienced with Mage. If you compare it to the revised Quick Start, the free introductory kit, that managed in a smaller page count to pack in a functioning system where you could create a character, assign traits, 
decide what your spheres were. To be fair, they weren't really freeform spheres. They were more like the, um, a rudimentary version of the sorcerer rules. But you had something that, that functioned as a quick start. Now, the Mage 20th quick start hasn't taken that approach. Instead of abstracting the concepts of Mage to a more simple, to a simpler system, instead what it's done is it's taken elements of, of, a, of a fully, from the fully fledged mage system, you know, the, the magic system, the combat system, the, the, the rules, and, and given us a preview of those. But for the new player, there are a couple of notable omissions, such as, although most of the traits that are listed on the character sheet are obvious, some of them, such as esoterica, how, how is esoterica different from occult, for example? How is art different from expression? Um, little things like that could have used perhaps a line or two just to flesh them out. And if you consider that we got a we got a good five pages of, of weapon stats, you know, it's more important, I think, to be able to get a working grip on your character than to know what the difference between a, a hatchet and a tomahawk is. So I think there's an issue where the the space could have been used better. And there are there's there's stuff in there that didn't need to be there, and stuff that could have been there that would have made this a knock it out of the park kick ass product. It's not a bad product, don't get me wrong, um, but there are areas where I think if you'd, if you'd added A, B, or C, this thing would have been a, a, a stellar piece of mage reference work to get people up and running with, with mage campaigns without the book. You know, get them off the ground and, and hook new players in. Now, that might sound like a bit of a gripe, so I'm going to step away from that quickly. As an established mage player, it's fantastic, and there's an argument to be made that the Kickstarter is aimed at established mage players, certainly established World of Darkness players, and that this quick start itself is aimed at that same demographic. And as such, it's a hit. It gives us enough to see what the Mage 20th uh, magic system is going to look like, bar that omission about the success economy, which I think should have been in there. Um, but we have a good few pages of really great sphere requirements for some sample common effects. In the, in the few tables that are in there, from the magic system, the, the time sphere stands out, head and shoulders. It's been given a whole new level of color that I can't wait to see the full version of that in the rule book. Um, so I'm really encouraged by that. And I also wanted to, to single out something I haven't mentioned so far. In the sample cabal, I've kind of glossed over them. And you have their backgrounds, and I, I, there's no point going into, into, into great detail because the backgrounds themselves are all rich, and it, it would take several minutes to go through each. Each, each is, a, is, a, is a mage who has suffered some degree of trauma or violence or abuse in their background, and their response to that and their awakening are tied in together. Um, so, so their magic is a response to their mortal life, in a way. So each, each and every one is, is, is viewed through that lens and, and quite successfully. After the standard stuff you'd expect, you've got, you know, their background, their role-playing tips, the image, you know, but then at the back you've got their focus, so how do they do their magic? And it gives you, in each one, uh, a paragraph on how this character does their magic. And if you're able to take that as an example and apply it to your own character, or own characters and NPCs in your game, it's a fantastic show-don't-tell explanation of paradigm and, and tool and focus. It's really good. And after that is a section for each character on avatar, and it's a paragraph on what their avatar looks like. And these are brilliant. I mean, they're almost worth the, I say, price of admission. It was free. These are almost the best bit of the book for me. For each of the, what is it, four or five NPCs we have here, um, there's a, par like I say, a paragraph on avatar. And the color and the diversity and the imagination that, uh, that the author has shown in giving us different ways to represent avatars are, are springboards for inspiration for any storyteller. So even when the quick start comes out, if you're not a mage, a long-term mage player, or if you're not a long-term mage storyteller, just for this, for the focus and avatar sections of the, of the character write-ups, 
it's great to be able to point players to that and, and, and say, here you go, that's how Paradigm works. That's how avatars work. Worth it for that alone. Right, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, short and sweet. Uh, as much as can be hoped for a mage product. I'll uh, see you sometime next year for the 500-page book, I guess. Take it easy.